Welcome back to the Marvin Chronicles. Today's episode is actually one of my favorites in terms of looking forward to. I started my journey uh, in Southeast Asia on a group tour and in Thailand, and it really set the tone for the rest of uh, how I traveled in terms of taking trips. I love the tour so much and the people that I actually took another tour to Egypt like four or five months later. So my guest today is going to be Millie. She is the country manager for an operations and she holds a lot of uh, hats there at One Life Adventures. We're going to talk about how she became a tour manager in actually Croatia Then she became a tour manager in the Philippines, became an operations manager, and now is the co-owner of Slumber Party Hostel in Phuket, Thailand. So there's a lot there to dig into, so be prepared. If you're interested in becoming a tour manager, this is definitely an episode you shouldn't miss. And before we start, if you'd like to support the show, uh, check the show notes for some affiliate links. I have it for Stash. If you're interested in investing, if you're in America, you get a free $5 to start. Uh, Stash is something I used to help fund my journey, in addition to using Bluehost as uh, a website host. And then I have the equipment I use to record this podcast. Also, before we start, I'm going to be heading out to the Philippines here. So my equipment will not be joining me in terms of the, the, the usual microphones and stuff like that. However, I'm going to try my hardest to continue interviewing people. I might be using uh, Zoom um, online or using it and recording from my iPhone. So this will be a learning experience for both of us. So there might be a little interruption in the schedule. But I promise you, as soon as I'm done with the Philippines and Vietnam, where I'm doing a group trip... Um, I'll be going full force on the podcast, so enjoy, and here we go. All right, today's guest is Millie from New Zealand. Millie, tell us about yourself. Hey Marvin, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, as you said, I'm from New Zealand, from a small country town in the North Island, and I've been living in Bali for about the past two months. I left New Zealand around seven years ago, seven and a half years, and yeah, I'm pretty much just doing everything I can to keep traveling and keep the dream alive. Oh, wow. It's been seven years. I didn't know that. Seven years. And tell us a bit about uh, all the hats you wear in your current career. Okay. So I try and keep myself pretty busy. I um, run operations for a tour company called One Life Adventures. So we're basically based in the Philippines, Sri Lanka, and Japan. And I also uh, co-own a hostel in Thailand called Slumber Party. So yeah, very involved in the travel industry, and they keep me pretty busy. That's exciting. You know, I have to admit, uh, Millie, this is one of my favorite interviews. I've been looking forward to this. I, I met her a few weeks ago, and when she told me... Uh, about Slumber Party. I immediately gave her some information about Slumber Party because I'd reached out to them before. Um, they're a chain in um, in Asia, in Southeast Asia. And I I started my journey in Southeast Asia and, and travel in my 30s with tour companies. And I openly promote them on it constantly because I think it's a great way 
to to start your journey in a lot of places and i've used them to go to thailand my first introduction to bali was on a tour uh i would have never gone to egypt uh as uh but there was a tour uh in egypt and i thought it was the best thing you could do if you want to go to egypt because there's a lot of questions on how to get places and stuff and especially coming from the western world coming from the u.s um, a lot of people are always afraid because they're like, well, I don't know the language. And the tour, tours themselves usually answer a lot of things. Um, oftentimes, I, I can't speak for one life, but oftentimes they'll come pick you up at the airport and things like that. But let's talk about your journey uh, to, to working for this tour company. Um, how did it begin? Well, I guess it began kind of in New Zealand. So I uh, studied as a primary school teacher, went to university. I'm fully qualified as a primary school teacher. And uh, probably towards the end of my degree, I realized that I wanted to get out of New Zealand. And I started applying for jobs anywhere. I was applying for jobs in Russia, in Greenland. Like, I didn't care. I did not care where I went. I just knew I had this, like, burning desire to get on a plane and just leave. And so I handed in my final assignment at university. And then three days later, I flew to Berlin. And I lived in Berlin for a year. And about two months into Berlin... I realized that I was not going home. I was like, there's no way I need to keep this going. Uh, so I need to find basically ways to make money um, to live overseas. So in Berlin, I worked as a nanny for an Austrian American family. So the great thing about being a teacher is that the skills are very transferable. So, you know, I'm a teacher, I could be a nanny. I'm a teacher, I could be a tour guide. Like I'm quite good at swinging um, these skills into different uh, jobs. So I was in Berlin for a year working as a nanny and then I moved to Northern Ireland, to Belfast, and I was teaching there. And about 10 months into Northern Ireland, I was having a wonderful time. The people are still to this day some of the coolest people I've ever met. But I wasn't really living. I was working nine to five. I wasn't really saving. I kind of had stopped traveling because I was paying, you know... Um, UK rent and everything so um, one day Sunday, it was a Sunday I'm pretty sure I was hungover and I googled get paid travel Europe and one of the first hits to come up was a tour guide and I was like well I've never been on a tour but I'm a teacher so I could probably swing it so yeah I applied for a couple of different companies and heard back from two of them they both wanted to interview me so I flew to London uh, the following week, and it was a little bit of right place, right time. Uh, they they were looking for people. I was ready to quit and just go wherever. Uh, so nailed the interview, and then they asked me if I wanted to move to Greece or Croatia. It's a tough decision, I know. <laughs> yeah, first world problems here. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'd already been to Greece. Uh, I'd never been to Croatia. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go and move to Croatia, and that's how my I guess tour guiding life began. They sent me on a training trip throughout Europe, which to this day is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Why so? Uh, so <laughs> anyone that's a tour guide in Europe for any of the big companies can would be able to relate. These training trips uh, get something like thousands and thousands of applicants every single year. So to get on the training trip, it's, it's quite good. Uh, but to make it through the training trip, they basically make it like a boot camp. Uh, so... There's a lot of history. There's all the geography. You have to learn how to actually be a tour guide as well. Uh, so the days are very long. Um, it's, it's a lot of pressure. 
and there's basically no guarantee that you're actually going to get a job. And my other question too is, uh, is this boot camp at your expense or are they paying for it? That, uh, so everything is paid for, but you are not getting paid. So um, mine was, <clears throat> I think, six weeks, so I wasn't getting paid, um, but they cover everything. So they basically take you on a free trip throughout Europe, um, but by no means is it a holiday. It, it's hard work. What are the things they, they put you through? Uh, so I remember, I clearly remember uh, that they kind of deprive you from sleep, I guess, a little bit because, you know, they want the very best people to be these tour guides. And when you're actually guiding, you don't often get a lot of sleep. It depends on the group. Sometimes you're working 18 hours a day, but, you know, 10 of those hours might be lying on a boat, but, you know, working, working nonetheless. And so they want to make sure that they're getting the very best people who can work under pressure, the people that don't really need sleep. So I remember they took us out for a really, really big night in Split in Croatia. All drinks were provided. It was bottle service. And you basically have to drink. You have to show that you're fun, but you have to still be responsible and still be able to get up in the morning. And I remember the next day we had this um, surprise quiz at like 6 a.m. And I had this question and I still remember it because I was like, this has to be a joke. And the question was, uh, what is the name of the hostel? What is the name of the street uh, that the hostel is on in Zadar? And we were there like five days before. We were never going back. And then the answer was like, even as or something. It was, it was something that no one would ever know. But like you were made to feel like, oh, how I, I remember the punishment for that. Everyone, like, so when you get something wrong, everyone has in the training trip has to be punished as well. And I remember it was um, everyone had to go and memorize all the street names or something of all the hostels. Yeah. So basically, they, they, they try and break you um, to make sure that you are strong enough to be able to handle any situation which happens on tour, which is a good thing. You want really, really strong tour guides um, in these scenarios. And yeah, once you get through... Once you get through the training, it is unbelievable. And I would do the training, even though I hated it at the time, uh, I would do it 10 times over to be afforded like the life that I've had from it. That's amazing. And uh, let us know how many, how many people were on this training tour and how many people got hired after. So my one was uh, quite a small one because it was specifically for Croatia. Uh, I believe there was about 15 and there were two girls that got left behind in Dubrovnik. Left, left behind. Let's unpack that a little. Left behind. So, uh, so it's an invitation to the training trip. So, by no means does that mean that you're going to get hired. Mm-hmm. So, at any stage, you can get kicked off. You can get let go. And when that happens, it just is wherever you happen to be in that city. So, these girls were with us for breakfast, and then they weren't with us for dinner. And do you know how they break it down or? I don't know. Um, we, we actually ran into them a few days later in Dubrovnik. I think if, like, it's very high pressure. And I think that's the hardest part about the training trip because, you know, there is no, they kind of tell you like, you know, if there's 14 people on the training trip, they might tell you there's 10 jobs. Okay. And could you, do you remember how they acted and when it was it a surprise or you're like oh yeah that's that's probably the right move they should probably stop now yeah yeah it was the right decision um they're really nice girls but probably not quite cut out 
for the long term of being a tour guide. Were they like drama or were they drinking too much? Were they... <laughs> I hope they're not listening to this. Um, well, one of them... <laughs> You won't even believe me when I tell you. <laughs> oh, this is getting better. This is getting good. One of them, really, really nice girl, but she had like, um, or like not Tourette's, but like a tick or something. And so whenever she got really nervous, which was quite often during the speeches, it would really come out and really affect the way that she oh. could deliver the speech, which is, you know, that's not her fault. It's what she's born with. And the other girl, English was her, I think, third language, but... Uh, it wasn't fluent and most of our guests are from Australia or England and so you need to you do need to have a very very good handle on the English language so nothing personal against them it's just I guess they can't help it oh, that's good that's a good honest answer so so you, you finish the training tour uh, when do you find it you're hired and tell us about your first tour with them in Croatia I, I remember my first tour very clearly so I remember um, for some reason, I got given this this VIP uh, STA Travel, a giant travel com- um, travel agency in the world. I was given like these eight VIP agents um, on my very first tour, and so I remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, like give them to someone else, give them to someone that's more experienced." So let, let me make this clear: you're saying that your first tour wasn't even with with like typical guests; it was like the agents it was a mixture okay it was a mixture so they had one um i think it was like a competition and so yeah for whatever reason there was a lot of pressure i remember my manager saying like don't mess this up like this is i was like (laughs) it's my first one (laughs) but um i still remember them and we're still friends all to this day it went really well um this is the yacht tour in croatia correct correct what what did that look like uh so it was pretty amazing really it was a seven day tour usually saturday to saturday and we would island hop, we'd have, there's different categories of boats, um, and we would basically just sail between islands, a new island every day. I would usually have a swim stop in the morning, you have breakfast and lunch on board, you're hanging out with like 30 people on this super cool sailing boat, and yeah, new island every day, in the evening you usually go and party, and then back on the boat, and you just get to, it's a really, really cool way to see Croatia. I, I would highly recommend it to everyone. Are you comfortable telling us the company? Sure. It was uh, Busabout. Busabout. And I'd also highly recommend Busabout to do Sail Croatia. They do a very, very good job. Do you know the... I'll, have, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, price-wise, do you remember how much it was? If you don't, that's fine. I'm not sure at the moment. And it, d- it depends on the category of boat that you get. It varies a lot. Okay. Uh, but I think the cheapest boat you could probably get for around 1500 Australian for the week. And my most expensive boat that I worked on uh, was beautiful. It was like a hotel on water. And included a ticket to Ultra Festival, so that was pretty cool. So I had 36 people on that boat, and I believe that retailed for about 3,000 Australian dollars for the week. Oh, oh my! You know, she's how I, I'm listening to her tell this story, just like you guys. And now I want to go. I've I've had friends that go, and I would say, like, we all. The, the interesting part is, Yacht Week, at least in my perspective has gotten so much larger mm. in the last couple years, mm-hmm. but you you were doing it years ago. I was quite lucky that I did it, I guess, just before it really took off. So I believe I started 2014. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I remember by my third year of doing it, I was like, I'm not working July or August because it's peak season and it's just so crazy busy. It's amazing the growth in just a few years. It kind of became like... 
I think, a rite of passage, especially for Australians, to do their Euro trip, and you pretty much just add the Sail Croatia in there. And Sail Croatia, just let us know, because I've never been to Croatia, mm-hmm. that tour ran between uh, how long in, uh, in, the, uh, in the year? Depends on the company, but usually May until October. Uh, May or October will be cheaper. Sometimes they have two-for-one deals because basically the weather probably won't be so good. Uh, my favorite time to sail would be June or September. June or September. Still okay. warm, uh, particularly September because by then everyone in Croatia has, you know, the captains have made their money for the year. Everyone's relaxed. Everyone's happy. The major crowds are gone. Uh, it's a little bit cheaper. So I would, rec- if you have to, if you have a choice, I would choose September. Choose September. Okay, good to know. So, so you're working for this company. Paint the picture here. So you're working for this company. You're, it sounds like you're having a great life. You know, not just a great career, but a great life. Because what did you do on on the off time? So that was the beauty of being a tour guide um, in Europe. So it's very seasonal. So you basically would work. I would work usually five to six months of the year. And I would work hard. I would um, basically take as many tours as I could. You get paid per tour. So I would take as many tours as I could, uh, try and just save as much money as I could. Uh, I would very, very rarely spend anything. Uh, And then, yeah, in the other six months of the year, I would travel. So I just pick a continent and go there. So my first year I went to, actually came to Asia and I did my Asia trip over those six months. Uh, My second year I went to Africa and I did my Africa trip. And then my third year, I went to Central America and did that. Yeah. Oh, my. So there you guys go. I mean, you're working half the year, so you don't have to work half the year. Bingo. But on top of that, I mean, you did you have the opportunity um, to – could you have worked more with Bus About? Could you have said, oh, I want to work in mm-hmm. the off-season somewhere else? Yes. Uh, so I think it was my second year – uh, bus about uh, started tours in Asia, which means you could technically work year round. And so uh, I was one of, I was the um, first round of guides to be chosen to go from Europe to Asia. So I was uh, the first round of guides to lead the tours in Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia. So you did, you did lead those tours. I did, yes. Okay, for, and uh, for how long? Uh, it wasn't as long. I probably did almost a season, like so almost maybe five months um, all up. Uh, but it was just kind of a transition for me between I just, you know, needed a bit of extra money. So you just give your manager a call. <laughs> that makes sense. And at that point in your life, so you've done tours in Croatia and you've done tours in Asia. Was Did you favor either or they just you liked them both, but they were both different? I think for my early 20s, Europe was better because, um, I mean, for me, it was just so different. It's the opposite of New Zealand. There's so much history. Uh, it's so accessible. Like, New Zealand is literally at the bottom of the world. And, you know, I, living in Europe, I was like, wow, like, I can catch a bus. Like, I can go to three countries in one day on a bus. Like, it's incredible. Uh, so, for me, I think Europe was the right choice for when I was starting out. But then, you know, I hit like mid-20s and going out every night wasn't quite so appealing. And Asia is, from a guiding perspective, a bit more chill. Uh, It's a bit more like nature and hikes. And uh, that's kind of where I was wanting to move into. Uh, So, yeah, I I really enjoyed the coming back to Asia and just, yeah, taking a bit more easy. 
could you describe at all like the type of uh, passenger um, on uh, the difference between like a passenger that would go on a on a Croatia tour versus one that would go on an Asian tour Asia tour? They actually they overlap quite a lot, and I've had guests come on my tour and then specifically come on my other tour. So mm-hmm. I've had people from Croatia come and join me in Vietnam. I have one girl, her name's Jess, if she's listening to this, who came on my Vietnam tour for New Year's and then the following New Year's came on my Philippines tour, specifically just so that we could spend New Year's together, which oh, wow. is super cool. You think you have, it's like a nice way of saying you have fans. <laughs> Though that is that is true. Um, I, I've, uh, I've kind of experienced some of that going on some tours where uh, I just have the, I, I, I ran to the same tour manager uh, for my Bali tour onto my Philippines tour. Mm-hmm. So it's nice because you kind of know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And I would say in my experience, and you know, this is a, such a personal uh, story about uh, tours and things like that. And, uh, you know, you create these really strong bonds, I feel, because I think life and, and, and making connections with people, a lot of it has to do with shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes as somebody who goes on these tours, these tours uh, are very can be very intense um, in, in a good way, but they are intense. Um, you're kind of being flung into a different part of the world with many different things going on and trying to take in as much as you can. It's a whirlwind. It, it's a, it is a whirlwind. Mm. And also, uh, and no one understands it when you get home. Like mm. you go home and you can explain to them how amazing everything was, but they'll never get the scope Mm -hmm. of how it is and the only person sometimes I feel like as a tour manager and here's another question for you you're many things you're you're many things you're not just uh you're you're managing the people and and I was going to say I wrote this down uh I didn't know but you you know the education background the teaching background I I do think it's like um uh like running a tour is like managing almost kids mm-hmm. because grown kids grown kids <laughs> not because uh they're they're immature but because they're uh so malleable because they don't they don't know mm-hmm. like you you are the first introduction to wherever they're at they mm-hmm. you, whatever you tell them and i'm thinking back right now is like you know in stone like this is what it you, you, and, and, the, and the funny thing is i mean obviously you're always truthful and honest but you could make anything up and they would go down the line like they'd go home and tell their friends like oh yeah this is you know this happened there and like it could you know nobody actually, does that but you could i actually have a story about that oh, okay um so it was only one time that this happened i, I promise i am usually a truthful tour guide uh but we were in croatia and i was walking my group uh we were hanging out at this bar in um, Havar called hula hula and we were walking to dinner and there was about 30 of them. It was quite a big group. And one of the boys had to stop to use the bathroom. But I was like, we're late. We're going to have to get to dinner. And he was like, just make something up about that tree. Just like buy time. And I was like, okay, like, let's see. Let's see if this works. And so I had this group of 30 people. This guy ran off to the toilet and there was a tree. I mean, there was about 10 identical trees, uh, but I just chose one and I told them I was like guys come in come in um I I walked this way specifically because I wanted to show you this very special very sacred tree and they were like "Ooh!" like silence could have heard a pin drop 
And I made up this big story on the spot about how every year on May the 12th, all the residents of Avar come and they like pay honour to the tree. And I was like, you can take a photo with it, but you have to be very respectful and, you know, um, it's very sacred. And they, so everyone's like standing there taking these photos, like being very like respectful. And then the guy came back and he was like, I can't believe that worked. I was like, I can't believe that worked either. And then I was like, well, I can't tell them now that I made that up. So we just went to dinner and everyone was talking about this tree of life. And it wasn't until the final day um, that I was doing a history talk. And I was like, guys, I do have a confession. Do you remember the tree of life? And one of them was like, when you touch it, you return to Hathar, the really sacred one. I was like, yeah. I just, I made it up. I'm really sorry. Like, <laughs> I've got to be honest. So it, it's pretty amazing though, because I, yeah, it's it's amazing what people will believe. I definitely don't um, test that too often, but it was quite funny. <laughs> that is quite funny. Thanks for sharing that story. So let's talk about. We talked about you being a tour manager, mm-hmm. and. I would say we talked about the advice. It sounds like we gave some advice for anybody that's listening right now that is interested in being a tour manager. And obviously you could reach out to Millie if you have some more detailed questions as well. We'll have her information at the sh- in the show notes. What would you say uh, the type of person that would go on these tours? Like what, uh, is there a, t- a type of person? Um, is it open to everybody? You know, what are your opinions? Uh, I would say it's open to everybody. Uh, I mean, people come on tours for different reasons. Uh, A lot of people, you know, they work really, really hard throughout the year. People have generally between two to four weeks off per year. And so going on a tour or something organized, uh, first of all, you don't have to plan anything. You just book it and then you turn up and everything's taken care of. So that's a big advantage for people. Uh, if you're a solo traveler, if you're a little bit nervous, if you've never been to, you know, maybe you've never been to Asia before, and that can be really daunting. Like, I, I think we forget because we're living here and it's amazing. But if you've never been, it's it's like going to Mars. You know, you've, you've, never, you've never been to that side of the world. Uh, so I think it's, um, especially uh, for girls, our tours are predominantly female. Uh, although we do get quite a few guys as well and also a few couples. Uh, but it's a safety thing. So, you know, you turn up, you, you're with someone that is an expert on that country. We have contacts. We know we know everyone in every place that we go. Uh, so it's kind of like that safety net as well. And just for people who are looking um, to make friends, like the friendships that I've seen formed on these tours are incredible. Like you were saying, it's a very intense experience. You're sleeping together. You're traveling together. You're eating together. You're 24-7 in each other's pockets. And so, for example, I had a tour last year in the Philippines who they just got on so, so well. Um, and they actually just had a reunion maybe two or three weeks ago. And I think there was like 14 of them that had the reunion. Where? Uh, so the first tour was in the Philippines and then they had the reunion in Sri Lanka. And now they're currently, uh, we're planning their Japan trip in October. And they're all going to do it. They're just like these lifelong friends amazing it is i i want to touch on that subject so that's absolutely true guys because um my first tour to thailand i met kathy who's become a dear dear friend of mine uh she was from the u.s uh we uh the tour company i went on was called contiki when you sign up they give you a private chat room like many tour companies do and i'd reached out and said hey i'm going to be in bangkok before the tour starts in phuket and she said, yeah, so will I. 
and we uh, we somehow decided we're going to stay at the same hostel, separate rooms, of course, because we hadn't met each other. <laughs> and then we got we adjusted our flights to fly to Phuket at the same time. And I I met her like at one o'clock in the morning in Bangkok, and I'm like, what are we doing? And she's like. And it's so funny because she slept the whole day. And she's like, well, I did find the 7-Eleven. And then I was like, okay, you've been here for eight hours and we found a 7-Eleven. But no, we ended up going to Kosan Road, had a bunch of beers. Uh, I woke up probably still a little drunk. <laughs> I didn't realize that until I, I woke her up. I knocked on her door and said, hey, you ready to go and go searching around? We had such a great experience. We ended up going to Nicaragua, just to, us together, uh, the following year. And, uh, you know, she's, she came and visited and then, uh, to wrap that, this little story up, um, she actually was the, she ended up moving to San Francisco and my friends got married there. So she ended up becoming my date to the oh, wedding. No so she's just a friend. I just want to make that <laughs> clear. And I'm sure if you, if you ever see her, she's going to make that very clear, which is <laughs> friends, but she is a very beautiful person. And, um, and also, uh, on on another personal note, yeah, I did meet somebody I did date for quite a while on one of the tours. Um, though I don't, I'm not promoting tours because you can hook up, but <laughs> we'll get into that here in a little bit. So let's continue moving on. So we talked about the benefits, and I, I want to stress a couple things too, um, because those are the same reasons why I do it, and the same reasons why I push it. So. I think the cost benefit is there. I think if you sat down and saw the price of a tour and sat down and tried to price it yourself, you're probably going to get pretty close. Mm -hmm. But even if it's a little bit more, the time it saves you is tremendous. Because if you're in Thailand or somewhere else in the world and you're like, uh, the often question is like, well, how do I get from Bangkok to Chiang Mai? Or how do I get from uh, Bangkok to Phuket or Krabi? And like, uh, do I go by boat? And like, what time does the boat leave? And so you're going to have to spend so much energy mm -hmm. on the front end to try to figure out the stuff. And you're still going to be wrong mm -hmm. because the reason why is none of it's right online. None of it. It's true. <laughs> like the, I, 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 I don't want to say it's all wrong. I just want to say that it's a suggestion because if you're in Asia uh, and you're in a hurry, you're in the wrong place. And so the, the tour manager is there to, to take that stress and worry mm -hmm. off your table. Mm -hmm. So the only thing you have to do is enjoy the moment. In addition, for me personally, I'm actually going to be heading and doing a Vietnam tour here in, uh, in a month or so. Um, one of the things, too, is when we talk about deep connections and shared experiences, if you look at the difference. So you go on a tour that's a week two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I know there was ones for six, 60 days. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're traveling with the same set of people. And I would say that uh, more often than not, you're like-minded. Mm -hmm. And so you get, um, you get past the introductions really quick and you kind of move on from there. But if you're traveling alone, uh, then it's you just restart everywhere you land because mm -hmm. these trips you usually travel between one uh, between two to three or four days each you know you're spending a few days in each place then you just have to restart again then you have to make a new group of friends or wherever you're at here that isn't the case and so I'm a big believer in in depth versus width having more deep connections versus having uh, very superficial wide ones mm -hmm. so that's a I think a big benefit Mm -hmm. So any any um, any marriages, any uh, proposals, any 
Yep, we've had um, we had a proposal on my Philippines tour last year. Oh my! Yes, a South African couple who uh, it was funny. He hadn't actually planned that he was going to propose on the trip, but uh, so it's a ten day tour, and on day six he came up to me and said he wants to propose. He doesn't know what to do. Can I plan it? So I essentially I chose the ring. Uh, because they they were literally joined at the hip. Um, they were never apart, so he didn't have a chance to go and get the ring. So I was at the jewellery store, had all these like engagement rings on my finger, secretly sending him photos through Facebook, and I was like, do you want finger one, two, three, four? Uh, so that was amazing. Um, really, really cool. She said yes. Oh, and that, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad she said yes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to joke and say something like, oh, were you that threatening to the couple that... <laughs> He had to propose to her, so she felt comfortable. No, I'm kidding. No, no. I think he just needed a hand. He just needed a hand. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, this? Uh, where was the tour? This was in the Philippines. This is in the Philippines. Where, like, paint a little bit of picture. Where was it in the Philippines? I've been to the Philippines. I'm going actually next week. So just outside of El Nido, there's a beach called Leo, uh, and it's beautiful. It's like a maybe two kilometer stretch of white sand, uh, much quieter than El Nido as well, because maybe 15 minutes outside of town. And so I'd worked with our local supplier. It took um, them about four hours during the day to uh, write on the beach. It was about 30 meters, will you marry me, Samantha, in the sand. And then we had a videographer on tour. So I'd planned with him. Uh, basically, it was really cool. Like the sun was setting, uh, the whole group's on the beach. I made sure everyone dressed up really nicely that night and everyone went and got manicures that day, especially Sam. And yeah, basically we had the drone in the air she had no idea. Just to the right of us was his giant, will you marry me, Samantha? The drone is in the air. Um, and I was like, right, guys, it's the last night on tour. Would anyone like to try and fly the drone? Um, and Johan, who was the boy that proposed, uh, was like, oh, yes, like, I'll do it. So he pretty much positioned it right above the will you marry me, Sam. And then he was like, Sam, come over and have a look at the screen. And it was, it was really beautiful because she was like, oh, it, it says something in the sand and then they like zoomed in and as they zoomed closer, we had a big bouquet of flowers. She turned around, he was on one knee, I was crying and <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, it was so cute. And then they had um, a really nice sunset photo shoot. The whole, the whole thing was just, it was beautiful. That sounds beautiful. Just to let you guys know, I'm, I'm sitting across from Millie and I think she's like tearing up a bit telling this story. <laughs> it was really cute. That sounds really cute. Where'd the ring come in? How'd the, how'd, is, was there a ring? There was a ring, yep. I chose the ring. But how did... I've been to El Nido. How, what, where, where was there a, a ring? Like, do they, is this, are they pushing proposals in El Nido? No, so the ring was uh, a temporary ring. Uh, it definitely wasn't the one... Well, I don't think... Maybe it was, but I don't think it's the one that will be on her finger forever. Uh, yes, so I'm pretty sure when they got back to uh, South Africa, he got her a bit of a nicer ring, and they're married. They got married really quickly. That's amazing. I, I have to admit, uh, El Nido, the sunsets El Nido, mm. one of the most amazing. I mean, Bali is amazing, but El Nido, oh man, it's incredible. Yeah, it, it is. It is truly incredible. I'm, I'm happy to report that I'll be heading there. I'll be there in a few weeks Exciting. again. And I, and the great part is I'll be able to spend a little bit more time there than I did um, last time. What the, the other benefits too is, I know a lot of friends kind of give me pushback. They say, well. I want to make my own schedule. I want to do this. And my my response is, and you can add on to this, is like, listen, this is just a taste. You know, if you 
you you go some places and it, and you go with people you like and then let's say you like somewhere else you just when the tour ends you just go back there mm-hmm. and but at least you had a, a taste a sample of what it could be and you know if you like it and there's probably other places maybe you didn't like as much mm-hmm. so you don't have to go back exactly so yep exactly what kind of people shouldn't go on tours I guess my best advice here is I, I, I truly do think that anyone could find a tour that was suitable for them, but I think you need to do the research to make sure that it is the right tour for you. So One Life Adventures, the company I'm working for now, is very much um, an off-the-beaten-track, adventure-based uh, company. So if, you know, if, you're looking for, if you're looking to sit by a pool and have you know, luxury five-star the entire time, yeah, it's probably not going to be exactly like it won't meet your expectations. Uh, so I think as long as you're really clued up on what you're signing up for, uh, by all means, like there'll be a tour for you. That is very true. That is very true. I, I think you do have to be honest about your fitness level sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people think um, somehow they become superheroes when they go on holiday. Mm-hmm. They're like uh, you haven't you haven't walked or hiked your whole life <laughs> and now we're going up this mountain good luck uh, yeah good luck <laughs> this is not this might not be for you so you're saying uh, check the uh, how strenuous it is mm-hmm. um uh, how about age ranges you know what is one life what is uh are other are there tours for every age range mm-hmm. so we are generally are between 18 to 35 but that's not saying where it's not a hard and fast rule so we welcome quite often uh, people that are over the 35 year bracket as long as they are aware that it is the adventure based that we will be you know we're going to go camping on a private island we're going to be doing hikes we're going to be island hopping um, we're going to a prison like we're doing all of these things that do require like you said a fairly good level of fitness Uh, recently well a few months ago now I had a really cool guy he was in his 60s and he was from Cyprus so on one life on one life he came to the Philippines yep his family uh, didn't want him to travel anymore. He, he's a very keen traveler, but because he's getting a little bit older, his family were worried about him going away by himself and, you know, if he fell or if there was any health problems. And so he found us. And I, when I saw his date of birth come through, I accepted the booking. And I was like, oh, I might just reach out and make sure that's the correct date of birth because I was like, that's a little bit older. And, yeah, he re- I reached out to him and he was like, yep, I know exactly what I'm in for. This is exactly what I want to sign up for let's do it. And so he came, I was his tour guide. Um, yeah, we had an amazing time. I've had these two, um, they were almost 60, uh, German grandmas who just retired and went on my Thailand tour. So we took them out in Phuket, like, yeah. <laughs> and then, and you, uh, would you say that, uh, was there any special arrangements made for them? Uh, did you feel that they ever held back the tour? Um, did I, I guess you know when you read some of the other companies and why they have the age restrictions? Mm-hmm. It's uh, to not make other people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like what you know, what was there any special arrangements made or? Um, not particularly. All everyone that came on that was over thirty-five is of good health. Uh, but for example, um, the two grandmas from Germany who are on my Thailand tour, 
we were in Kopipi. And when we were in Kopipi, we uh, climbed to this viewpoint, mm-hmm. which isn't, it's maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes. But uh, what we did is we just had them leave, like I organized with them. Um, they left about an hour earlier, just they didn't want to be in a rush. They, they still really wanted to do it. Uh, and so we just met them at the top. Okay. Yeah. And I and if anybody has never been to Kopipi, the viewpoint is pretty amazing. It's awesome. Uh, my experience with the viewpoint, um, not this is all about me, but uh, <laughs> I was deathly ill that morning. Mm. Um, I I would say that um, so Kopipi is known for many things. It's it's known for Maya Bay, which is where they filmed the beach. It's known for the limestone cliffs, mm-hmm. the amazing water. The water is so clear; it looks like boats are floating. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like um, this doesn't exist, mm-hmm. I, or I can't believe this exists. But it has um, a fair level of nightlife, mm-hmm. and um, there was actually. It's funny because we met at the dojo uh, co-working space here in Bali. But actually, there's I think there's a popular par- bar in Kopi called Dojo. And uh, which I, I did uh, I did enjoy actually I, I was first introduced uh, uh, to the idea of volunteering as you travel. There was a, a beautiful German bartender, and I was like, "What are you doing here?" And she's like, "Oh, they asked me if I wanted to work here." And I said, "Yes." She was on some family holiday, and I was like, "Why not?" Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "You can do that. You can do that. That's a thing." But uh, yeah, I woke up. Uh, I, uh, well, they have this like. Uh, Slinkies is the mm-hmm. popular beach mm-hmm. beach party, and uh, if you ever go, you'll you'll know because it's the only beach party really. And uh, the popular thing are buckets and stuff. And I remember having quite a few buckets, and then um, ending up in the water. Um, I wasn't alone. I wasn't by myself. That'd be weird. But uh, yeah, I was in the water um, with someone, and um, <laughs> I failed to kind of like dry myself off when I went to bed it was just you know you fall asleep wherever (laughs) basically sometimes I'm not saying that's the experience for everybody that can be your experience if you choose it (laughs) so yeah the next day I think I took the great part about Thailand is you can get antibiotics without a prescription so I was just taking everything I could and you know in these moments um in these moments of travel um I always say that there's always going to be a moment where it's going to push you and it's going to push you pretty hard because um, where you feel like a little bit overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you there's always um, a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I got to the viewpoint. I felt like crap, but I made it. And there's a picture. And that picture <laughs> is one of my favorite my one of my favorite po- photos of that trip. Photo or it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, photo or it didn't happen. That's right. Or you don't take photos of things you don't want to know people have, you know, whatever happens in Thailand or whatever happens on. So let's look at my, I have some, some more questions here. We did paint the picture. So, um, what are the things, oh, what are the sleeping arrangements? I think that's important to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it depends on the tour. I'll refer to our tour at the moment, to the One Life Adventures tour. Uh, so in the Philippines, it's a mixture of, uh, dorm share, twin share, uh, so basically between hostels, hotels, camping, um, and beach bungalows, I guess you would call it, in Port Baden. Uh, Sri Lanka is all twin share, apart from two nights in which it's triple share. And uh, Japan is all twin share. However, if you 
are someone that wants your own space, there is always the, uh, the option to upgrade. You just pay a little bit more and you can upgrade to your own room. Okay. Or if you're a couple, the same thing. So if you want to just have a twin room the entire time, no dorm share, you can do that. We can cater to that. Gotcha. And in my experience, um, for the majority of the tours I've taken, it's always just been sharing with uh, one other person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one was an Austra- My first one was an Australian guy. Um, he was quite funny, mm-hmm. actually, and uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, and uh, I would say... When you do share a, a space with someone or a room with somebody, on one life, is it going to be typically the same person or do you guys mix it up or it depends on like people coming up to you saying, I, I would rather not sleep in that same room or how does that work? We usually try and keep it the same person um, just for logistics sakes. Uh, but yeah, if people do want to switch rooms, if we want to mix things up, we kind of just feel the vibe of the group and it's very easy just to switch people in and out. Um, we do always try and keep it same sex as well. So girls together, boys together. Uh, but yeah, generally we just go by the vibe and see what people want. Gotcha. Yeah. For the most part, it's, it was, uh, fairly consistent. I think in Tiki, uh, there was two guys I kept switching back and forth with. Not that I'd made the choice. It's just for some reason mm-hmm. it would be with one of, one of the two. And then, um, actually, uh, so I really enjoyed the Philippines I did. Uh, I did run into One Life, but mm-hmm. I wasn't on a One Life tour. And I remember uh, landing in Boracay, and that's the last stop of my tour. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away. And I was like, I have to fly back home soon. So I made this huge to deal with like my flight was overbooked with work, so I could stay a couple more days. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it worked out really well. I mean, it does happen, by the way. It does. So it, it does it happen. Could be a thing. Your flights can be overbooked and. I, I always pray that was because then you have a, a legitimate excuse and they put you up mm. and then pay for your flight home. But for some reason, I was flying Korean Air. I call them and go, how, how much would it cost if I just flew back a few days later? How much would it cost me? And, and in my mind, I'm like, it's probably going to cost me the cost of the flight. Yeah. That's in my mind. Yeah. They said, sir, um, it would be at no charge. Done. Yes. I First of, first of all... I had to repeat it to me three times. <laughs> yeah. Three times. I was like, let me make this sure, make sure. If I leave, I'm supposed to leave on f- Saturday, but I, if I leave on Monday, it's, it doesn't free. cost me more. It's free. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm wow. like, amazing. Let's do it. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm sitting writing the, the most dramatic letter to my boss, like, I can't believe this. <laughs> I'm so upset. I'm so upset. I hope they're not listening. But um, no, I'm, I'm good at I'm good at calling sick, and I'm good at uh, staying in foreign countries. But of course, I, there, there was somebody there that I'd met and that I want to stay with or stick stick around. At that point, I I there was nothing. <laughs> I, I wasn't getting anywhere. Let's make that clear. I just enjoyed their company enough to know that. I would I'd rather stay in this beautiful place with mm-hmm. these people and this person for just a little bit longer. And it actually was nice because I actually did uh, pay extra in that location for my own room. Mm-hmm. And because I was part of the tour, they gave me some sort of um, benefits to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually it was the the W Hostel in Boracay, mm, okay. which uh, which is actually it was it was new. And it's actually very, very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going back, but I'm not going back to. I'm going back to Boracay. I'm just not going back to that hostel. Maybe I'll just go back just to look at it. Yeah. I always get a little nostalgic. <laughs> you know, you go back to places. Memories. Memories. So let's uh, continue moving forward. So, what's the advice you would give people 
um, to help their tour manager out uh, when they go on tour? What should they know? How you know? Let's talk about it. is tipping something that's important. Is that something you suggest? It's a good question. Um, I think first of all, the tipping it varies a lot uh, between countries. So Europe. Um, I tended to get tipped quite a lot because it's, you know, part of the culture. People have been doing it um, when they've been going to dinners. It's just becoming kind of a, a natural thing. Uh, Asia, it, it depends on the person. I always say that tipping is something for me that's super appreciated, but never expected. If I get zero at the end of the tour, I'm not going to take that personally. I get everyone's on a, you know, on a budget. Some people are having really long-term traveling. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be offended. But if you've got extra money and you do really appreciate what your tour, tour guide has done for you, then yeah, I mean, <laughs> guides don't make a huge amount of money. So um, and generally, all the money you do make goes straight back into traveling. So you know that if you are tipping your tour guide, you're most likely funding their holiday or you know their next, their kind of next trip. Um, advice to people going on a tour: I would just say that remember that your tour guide is human. Um, so guides generally bend over backwards and will go to any length to do whatever they can um, to, to make the holiday as perfect as possible. However, it is real life and things change. Um, so your tour guide is constantly trying to keep it together and make sure that everyone is having the best time possible. Uh, so yeah, I reckon just sometimes cut them a little bit of slack. Uh, often they are I would say 90% of the time they are up, the first person up and the last person to sleep. Um, so they probably are running on a little bit less sleep. And yeah, they're just a human as well. So just be nice to your tour guides. <laughs> so one of the other questions I had too is, uh, how was your experience as a female tour manager? Um, is that a common thing? What's the ratio between female and male? And what do you think the differences or inexperiences are with uh, passengers? It's a good question because I think uh, from my experience, when I first started guiding, I was like 22, 23. I, I was quite young. Um, and so I would be guiding people that were up to 10 years plus older than me. And so I do remember I had a really rough tour in my first year when I was quite young, quite inexperienced and uh, not quite as strong as I am now. And it was a tour. I don't know why I received them, but there was 14 people on it and 12 of them were boys, were guys. Like the guests were, it was basically a male dominant tour and they were very much like lads. So I... What's a lad, by the way? A lad is <laughs> a few definitions, but <laughs> in this case, uh, they, their primary objective, it was in Croatia, uh, was to get drunk and pull girls. And so, as I was one of the only girls on the boat, they uh, were quite suggestive. And uh, it actually, it got to the point where I left the boat during a talk because one of them like yelled out something really rude. Um, and I spoke to them about it later and I was like, guys, to be honest, uh, you're actually making me really uncomfortable. Like, I, I think... I think sometimes when people go on tours, they it's like not real life for them mm -hmm. and they act differently than they would in real life. At home, they're really nice people. So being a girl, I guess I have realized that you have to be very direct with people and if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. So now I'm very strong, very um, 
direct about what is and isn't appropriate. And I think that kind of just comes with age as well. I'm 27 now and I haven't experienced anything like that again. Uh, for guys, I can't speak for being a guy, tall guy, but um, I guess you'd have kind of a similar problem in a way. My first manager ever, um, Mate, he's, he's wonderful. He told me that um, as a tour guide, basically um, the get, like you're like a trophy. Like people will try and hook up with you because like if you hook up with a tour guide, that's like, yay. Um, which for every company I've worked for is completely against the rules. Yeah, it's a big no-no. But it's against, first of all, I, I want to make it clear. I, I've never tried to hook up with any of my tour managers, <laughs> but I know that people have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's against the rules during the tour, but after the tour is over, you're just people again, or no? Yeah, technically, I suppose. Um, it would be, I, I can't speak for everyone again, but um, for me, this lifestyle and this job wouldn't be worth it. Like, you know, hooking up with someone for a couple of days in exchange for this amazing lifestyle I have. No. Okay. And, and you're saying exchange of maybe like losing your job Correct. or uh, getting a bad, like, you know, obviously like getting a bad review for the company or mm-hmm. something negative yep. press for it. Okay. Correct. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, have you ever had to kick anybody off the tour and are can you? Yes. Yes, you can. Um, personally, I haven't, but I've seen it happen a couple of times. Um, we've been pretty close. Uh, basically there's a few rules on tour it depends different companies Asia we don't really have the issue but um, in Europe I I had someone overdose on drugs so basically they were they were taking drugs on tour um, and that is one of the big big no-nos it's illegal obviously first of all super dangerous um, as we found out when he um, (laughs) I had to take him to hospital so that if if we weren't on the final day of the tour anyway he probably would have got kicked off um, but yeah, we, I've seen a few um, cases where people, uh, if they're, they're fighting or if there's like, if they're negatively impacting other people on the tour, then it's it's a it's a privilege to be on tour. It's not a right, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. So, don't be don't be creepy. Don't be weird. Don't be. Don't make other people uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, w- it would take quite a lot to kick someone off a tour. It would be. You would have had warnings. You would have, you know, it would have. That would be a very last resort, and it wouldn't be something I'd like to do. You know, this is a holiday that someone's been looking to forward to all year. But yeah, if you're if you're not being a normal, nice human being, then there we everyone has the right to you know enjoy their holiday just as much as them. And then just to make it clear to everybody, because I don't want you to think that this happens this is this is very like this is an exception to the rule this is a very uncommon thing i've Mm -hmm. i've never experienced really any of that Mm -hmm. on my tours Mm -hmm. so okay good very rare so i'm talking in almost five years of guiding i've and doing you know hundreds of tours i've seen it maybe two or three times two or three times so one or two percent and then um because you have this experience as a female tour manager um do you do you ever help the the? I are there t- female tour managers for One Life now? Uh, yes, there are. And do you ever have a conversation with them? Do you try to kind of share your experience so they're more prepared? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm I'm now managing the Philippines um, for One Life, and so all of my guides. I think we have four. We have the majority are girls. We have a couple of guys as well. 
And yeah, I think you learn from sharing. So we're always open about our experiences. And I think it's really important that they know that I've got their back. So if there's any problem, any time of day, any time of night, I can, my phone is always on. Um, and boys or girls, um, they can all call me for advice. Oh, that's fantastic. There's very little I haven't seen on tour. I have to tell you guys, I see Millie at the co-working space and she's, she's always working. <laughs> One of my first interactions was we're at a, at a barbecue and she has her laptop out <laughs> because there's something going on in Sri Lanka. And I, you know, I'm like, you know, what's going on? Like have a beer. Uh, and then, but I gave her some good advice. I said, it'll probably look better in the morning, but that's a, from a book from uh, Colin Powell. He, he, his, one of his tips is it's never as bad and it'll be better in the morning, but no, that's good. Let's move into kind of talking about one life, mm -hmm. the tours. Let's, let's kind of promote that a little bit. Um, yeah. So tell us, uh, you know, which tours, where they go, uh, which ones do you recommend? Mm -hmm. Uh, things like that. Okay, so One Life is essentially a startup. We've been around for only about two and a half or coming up to three years, I think, in April. Um, and so we're, we're, I think there's about 12 of us that work for the company. So we're compared to the big companies, we are kind of like the small fish. But what we're doing is we're doing things differently. So a lot of tours that you go on, if not the majority of them, um, you pay an upfront price and then you have to... Uh, pay for your uh, activities and meals and everything along the way. There's a lot of hidden costs. However, with One Life, we have kind of switched that and we've gone the exact opposite. We include um, on, on our tours around 50% of meals, depending on the tour. All of the activities are already included. So you don't have to, you know, you don't arrive on the first day and then I'm not going to say, that'll be another $400. It's all included. It's all taken care of. All your transport's included. Um, and I think for me, uh, one of the big reasons that I came to One Life is because we do things that are either impossible or very difficult to do on your own. So if you were traveling by yourself, uh, for example, in the Philippines, we go to a prison, a real, it's the world's largest open air jail. And because we've been going there for two years, we know the inmates, we know their stories. And so we, we do these things to, um, yeah, I guess it. it if you were traveling by yourself, it would be super difficult to do. Um, in Japan, we stay in a temple, a real temple. Um, so we, we do all of these experiences that, uh, uh, like the name, One Life, it's once in a lifetime. Um, yeah. Gotcha. And um, you, you were saying to me earlier before we started that Sri Lanka is the one of the number one destinations of two, 2019? Mm, correct. Uh, Lonely Planet named it the number one destination of 2019. Oh, that's amazing. And you're, do you have a favorite or can you not say because you work for the company? Uh, well, I lived in the Philippines for two years and I did that tour a lot. Uh, so that's kind of always going to be my baby. Uh, I think the beautiful thing about it is each tour is very different. So the Philippines, you've got these, like you were saying, unbelievable islands and beaches. Um, Sri Lanka, you've got incredible nature and wildlife and food um, and the train ride. Oh, my goodness. If I think everyone must do the train ride between Candy and Ella once in their lifetime. I genuinely had tears in my eyes. It was absolutely beautiful. It's been named, I think, the number one most beautiful train ride in the world. It's incredible. You must do it. 
Um, and Japan, Japan is just like this melting pot of um, incredible cities, um, incredible culture, again, incredible food. So it's just, it depends what you're after. Um, and I think, I think we have tried to pick destinations that are a little bit more difficult to go to on your own. Like Sri Lanka is just on the cusp of this, um, of the travel industry. So to get from A to B is actually pretty difficult, like you were saying before. So we take care of all that. You just turn up. Um, there's some really long drive days, but you don't have to worry about it because we've already organized it for you. And I'm going to put her on the spot here. <laughs> you don't have, you know, if you can't think of it, that's fine. I'll cut it out. Okay. <laughs> but if, uh, if there was a, if there was a tour you could create anywhere in the world um, that isn't the Thailands and stuff like that, can you think of one that off the top of your head, like were like, you know, go ahead. Mexico. Mexico. Hundred percent. Well, Mexico's pretty big. Mexico's my favorite country in the world. Where, where in Mexico? <sighs> so I'm getting some insider secrets here. Here we go. Um, so I had budgeted to spend about four weeks in Mexico. Um, when I was doing my Central America trip and I just kept finding these incredible places and I couldn't leave. I ended up spending about nine or 10 weeks there, um, just completely fell in love with it. Um, so obviously you've got the Cancun, you've got the um, Playa del Carmen, you've got the Tulum, super cool, but there's so much more like um, my favorite place in Mexico, which people don't often go to, is a little town in the south um, called Puerto Escondido. And it's a little surfing town. Um, that's pretty much my dream is to open a hostel there it's absolutely beautiful uh, so I think Mexico has everything it's got these mega cities it's got jungles it's got rivers it's got lakes it's got amazing beaches uh, the food's incredible the weather is great it's really cheap I love Mexico all right Mexico that I that was I she didn't know I mean I gave her a lot of questions ahead of time that was not one of them <laughs> and she answered it quite amazingly as <laughs> well Mexico and since you are, and I, I kind of know th this answer, but since you are the co-owner of Slumber Party in Phuket, um, it just opened, by the way, guys, so you should check it out. Um, I think I, I, I the f when she told me that, I was like, oh, I, I, she's like, oh, have you heard of them? I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, I can't stay there. I'm too, too old to stay there now, <laughs> but thanks. But uh, if you were to open another one or a hostel, mm -hmm. where would it be? Uh, so my dream, and it's something that has been a few years in the making, um, there's a, a little town in um, the Philippines on Palawan called Port Barton. And it, we were the first tour operator to go there, One Life was, and it is just this magic, there's, there's something about it, there's something about the vibe, it's um, very, very quiet. It's one of the only places I've been to in Asia in a very, very long time where you can be island hopping and there's not one other boat around you. Now I've said this, everyone's probably going to go there and um, make it really busy. Uh, but the people are the nicest people I've ever met. And yeah, the islands, it's Palawan. So it's, it's beautiful. So it's kind of like, I guess, El Nido maybe like 10 years ago. I, I must uh, admit, so uh, Port Barton, uh, El Nido, Port of Princesa, uh, even Coron. Uh, they're kind of, uh, the majority of those are attached to Palawan Island, mm -hmm. where One Life goes. Corona is an island just off of it. Um, I am, I'm so waiting for that place to, to blow up, not in sense of like a huge tourist crowd, but I'd love to see it as a co-working space. Agreed. Um, Agreed. 
you know, for me personally, I mean, I've kind of settled as Bali as being my home base at, unless something changes. But I, I would have liked the Philippines to be. Uh, there's a couple things that need to happen. One of them being the Wi-Fi situation needs to be mm-hmm. better, the power situation. Just a couple uh, infrastructural things that need to happen for for that to, to eventually. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm the person to to put those stakes in, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- being half Filipino myself um, and being born in the Philippines, I do have a lot of... Um, you know, it, it's close to my heart, and uh, I would like to spend some time there and learn the language and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And one of the things I also uh, want to touch upon is, uh, if you guys don't already know, uh, some of the just the maintenance stuff. When you do go on tours, you you are required to get travel insurance. But it's good to get travel insurance even if you don't go on a tour because – do you want to answer this one? Okay. Because – I'll answer it then. Because things happen – and you're not a superhero on a tour. And if you're in Asia or other parts of the world, they don't have the same safety standards. Mm-hmm. And you could be walking on a street and fall into a trip on something or just be in the water and step on something. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that you have travel insurance because what it does is it takes some of the stress away from if something were to happen and... It, you, you're not putting so much pressure on the tour manager either because they know that they can take you to the hospital and everything will be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And as a tour manager, are you pretty aware of where to take them in any location? Is that part of the... Part Absolutely, of the tr- yep. Um, so first of all, travel insurance is mandatory on all of our tours, not optional. Um, and <laughs> part of being a tour manager, I guess, is that you wear a lot of different hats. You know, you're going to be the mom, you're going to be the therapist, you're going to be the DJ. And quite often you're also a nurse. So all of our um, guides are first aid trained. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've seen, it, it doesn't happen so much in Asia and the Philippines is um, the places we go are quite small. So there's like one medical center, very easy. But I do remember living in Croatia. Um, I guess there was a bit more of a party vibe and so more accidents happen. And I would know pretty much all the hospitals by name. Um, <laughs> quite bad really I mean (laughs) I had a girl and I'll never forget it she broke her back on my tour on my second tour ever yeah so I had the I had the VIPs and then I had um this girl break her back uh so yeah like you said accidents happen all the time um and just because you're on holiday it doesn't mean you're invincible the cost of travel insurance is going to be a lot cheaper than if there is an accident and you get left with you know a $30,000 plus, and that's, it does get... It does happen. If you ever go onto the Facebook groups for backpackers and stuff, you can see some of them are stranded in foreign countries because mm-hmm. you can't leave until you pay the bill, and yeah. it just becomes really a big mess. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. And uh, as we're wrapping up, mm-hmm. um, uh, sh- Millie had brought up to me a, um, a Nepal trip, and uh, we're kind of going to be doing some research I'm, I'm really interested but one of the things too is and the reason why I bring this up is that if you guys are ever interested in doing a tour either it being with One Life or any other tour companies typically uh, they only require you to do a small deposit up front mm-hmm. and paying the majority of it within 30 to 45 days and within that depending on what tour company you do choose um, they'll let you at least do 
typically if it, you're not a jerk, they'll let you change the date of the tour if it's still far out. Mm-hmm. You know, what's it, what's, it's in 30 days. I've seen her sit down. She's already ordering all the flights and everything like that. So everything's kind of locked in within the 30 days time mm-hmm. span. But if it's before 30 days, uh, you might have the chance to change it. I've done it. I was set to go to the Philippines in, in November and then I just, I knew that wasn't going to happen. And I said, hey, can I pu- push it to January? And it worked out really well. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I tell you guys this is because um, traveling sometimes can be kind of like, it's always in the future. Like everybody always thinks like, it's interesting when I talk to my friends, like maybe I'll go there in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 2019 it just started why why would you why would it be that far out Mm. but even if that's the case and i would say you know my thing is i always book things and i i would book things so last minute i would i booked most of the trips i did the week before Mm -hmm. i'd be like i have two weeks off because i quit my job or something like that where can i go what's the best deal Mm -hmm. and the best deal is both the tour and the flight there's Mm -hmm. those are two components because the you don't you the flights are independent of the tour Mm -hmm. and so if you're thinking about it putting that deposit in i think is a game changer i think it it solidifies your interest it puts you kind of more on a focused track to move forward because then you can just keep using that anchor that date as an anchor to make decisions in your own life to try to hit that date Mm -hmm. and if you don't hit that date a couple things happen. You either move that date or you lose your deposit. But the deposit is not that much. Mm-hmm. But it's there because I can tell you, uh, being in sales, being in real estate, it's easier to walk away from something if you can't do it than try to plug yourself in. Mm. Because then that tour might be sold out. I, you know, I, I was really interested in going to a couple places on a tour, but they all sold out in December. Like I couldn't. You know, especially peak season. And p- especially peak season. Like mm-hmm. Sri Lanka, I know is like super, super popular right mm-hmm. now. Um, we're recording this. Uh, this is uh, we're January 2019. Just to let you guys know. So, so I think that's all I have. I want to thank Millie for being on the show. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any final thoughts before we close the show? Yeah, I guess if you if you are listening to this and if you are kind of tossing up, you know, you're at home. Maybe maybe you don't have anyone to go traveling with. Um, don't let that stop you. Uh, the friendships that I've seen made on these tours and the amount of times I've, I've honestly lost count um, of people finishing the tour and saying that was the best seven days or the best 10 weeks of their entire life. Like these, these trips are life-changing. Um, so if you are hesitant, just do it. Like that's my biggest advice. And if you're thinking that you might like to be a tour guide, I, again, I can't count how many people have asked me this over the years. How do I do it? Uh, just th- there's no there's no special way. You don't have to know anyone. You basically just have to apply. You just have to do it. Uh, so apply to as many different places as you can. Uh, really research the company because that makes a big difference. You want to be this job. Um, you know you're not going to make a million dollars from doing it. So you have to be passionate about the company that you're working for and really love what you do. Make sure you're looking into that. And yeah, I mean looking back, I could not think of a better way to spend my twenties than traveling and leading people around the world thanks for having me yes thanks for sharing that you know she says these things and they they touch my heart because um i want to be a tour manager now <laughs> like i uh, just do it just do it <laughs> yeah and, and one of the things she did tell me was um 
you know, I, I told her, like, I don't know if I could, I don't have the energy to do, like, the, the 18 to 35-year-olds as much. Like, that's a lot of energy. It's a lot of drinking. It can, or it can be. I'm not saying the tour managers are required to drink. But you're supposed to, you know, show them a good time. But then she gave, she enlightened me and said, you know, you know, Marvin, the, uh, the older tour groups, they actually tip a lot better. <laughs> so keep that in mind. And they, you know, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I, I guess I could, like hang on like a, a houseboat in the Nile <laughs> with some seniors, um, you Wouldn't know, so just, just walk temple to temple and, <laughs> you know, I'm not even walking to them. They just, there's like a, usually like a, like a local, local, guy. <laughs> local guy that'll do it. So fantastic. Again, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, uh, please subscribe to the Marvin Chronicles uh, podcast. It's uh, currently on Apple uh, podcast, Stitcher, and I'm trying to get it on Google Google Play and some other places for podcasts. You can also listen to it on Anchor. Uh, I'll put all the information we talked about in the show notes, so the link to her website, uh, the information she provided, and if you have any questions, uh, please let me know. All right, have a great day, and uh, we'll speak to you another time. Take care. <laughs>